Some would say now it's time for the big kids. But actually, I'm, the focus of family church is that we all come away with something. I, I don't know about you, but I've already come away with something. Or I've already gained something that I can go away. I haven't gone away yet. But I want to be a little bit more focused. Uh, and, and I think we can do that together. As you are helping the little ones, the younger ones, now it's, I want to kind of bring it all together to say how we can all come together. So before I, I open the Bible and, and read from it, I want to invite you to again pray with me as we, before we open the Word of God. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this awesome privilege of coming to a place where we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to be with us. Bless us with your spirit and through it. Open our hearts and our minds that the words that are being spoken are not words that are directed to tear down, but directed to build up. And I pray that you continue to build us up as we glean from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I need a couple of big kid volunteers. Big kid. Okay. Thank you, Tyler, but not today. Thank you, Andrew, but not today. I want big kids. Let me be more intentional. I don't want adults. All right. Uh, I'll take Danielle. And you, sir. Thank you so much. You have no idea what you guys have volunteered for. All right. Good. Well, I know Danielle. I don't know you, sir. What's your name? Tony. Tony, nice to meet you. So, uh, I want you guys, I want one of you to go to the one side of the stage and the other to the other side. Now, how many of you have ever been to a park where you've seen mimes? Eh, okay, do you all know what a mime is? Okay, so a mime is an individual that he acts out what he wants to communicate to you without words. So he uses gestures. Okay? There you go. All right. Awesome. However, I want you to, I want you to mirror Tony. Tony, I need you to mind some, mime something to Danielle. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Easy, easy right? Is that pretty easy? Um, I want you to go to the far ends of the church. Now do the same thing. Go ahead, Tony. 
It can, I mean, the same idea. It doesn't have to be exact what you did, but. All right, thank you. So, you guys did something unintentionally that actually is going to help me. Was it easier for you to mirror each other when you were closer or when you're farther apart? Okay, keep that in mind. Thank you. It was easier to mirror each other when you were closer. Keep that as a thought. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. Chapter 3, verse 5. We're going to read until we come to a question And we're going to talk a little bit about what is happening. So this is the context. Solomon has just been crowned king. His father David has passed away. He goes on a vengeful tour where he kills, or I should say has, people who were against the crown executed, and then he goes and offers sacrifices. So his very first act as a king is that he avenges his father, David, who is now deceased, and then he goes and he offers sacrifices. There was no temple built at this time. There was only a sacrifice place, And he went up to this sacrifice place and he offered a sacrifice before the Lord. And at Gibeon, this is where we find verse 5, right after he sacrifices, he goes home and he goes to bed. And he dreams. In verse 5, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Pause. Who wants that question from God asked of you today? Man, if you don't raise your hand, you, you probably just don't know what you want to ask, and that's okay. But think about this if God in a dream came to you and he said, Whatever you want, I'll give. Right? Don't read too much ahead into the story, because if you're familiar with the story, you know what's about to happen. But now put yourself in Solomon's perspective. Thank you for that prayer, Nathan. Perspective. When we feel, when we look through Solomon's eyes and we try to fit into his, his shoes, he has now just been crowned king. And the creator of the universe asks him, What do you want? I'll give it to you. Power? Fame? If this was me, 
Huh. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know that I would ask what Solomon asked. And Solomon said, have you, shown, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart with you. David, righteous, upright, really? I mean, blood is thicker than water, right? You're going to defend your family at whatever cost. And so Solomon now is, is saying, hey, you bless my dad because he was a righteous man. The irony of this story is that this now king is only alive because of David's indiscretion, if I can put it mildly. He continues. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So he recognizes that David's righteousness before God is what enabled him to be on the throne. Now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. He wasn't little. This is po poem. This is poetic. He was little in the sense of he was young. He was not mature. He was but a little child. I do not know how to go or come in. I, what he's saying here is, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. How many times have you been asked to, to do something and you shy away from it because you do not know what to do? Even though the people who have asked you to do it know that you are capable of it. We call this potential. Right? Potential. Teachers see potential in their students. Bosses see potentials in hopefully all of their employees or most or some. Pastors see potential in their members. But most often we divert to the mindset of Solomon says, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. But he continues, says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered and counted. I confess to you, when I came here, I asked for wisdom. Every church is different. As a pastor, when we come into a different environment, every church is different. But here's Solomon recognizing that God has placed him in a prominent position of leadership, and he puts him into a place where he's now responsible for the welfare of an entire nation as a young man who has no experience in politics, 
or leadership. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 10 says, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked a long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I also have given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall be not be anyone like you among the kings of your days. Hmm. Who wants this blessing? Right? Who wants this blessing? Lord, all I'm asking for is wisdom. Oh, that's all you ask? Here you go. You get all, this re- all these resources and riches and things that normal people aspire. But wait. Here's the condition. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen, lengthen your days. So here's the question I want to give you guys to discuss in your tables. Why did God give Solomon wealth in addition to wisdom? And don't say because it pleased the Lord because he only asked for wisdom. That's not, that's not the answer. Even though the Bible tells us that, that God was pleased with David, but that's not the answer. Go. You got five minutes to discuss this. Why did God give Solomon wealth in, in addition to wisdom? How many of you feel confident that you have the answer? An answer. All right. Let's start there. Who can give me an answer? One, real quickly, from a table, just raise your hand. Okay. Let me, let me just say this. Let me, let me just preface what we're about to do here. In order for us to get to the answer... We need to have input, okay? We need to have input. So an answer, please. Okay, right here, Maya. I said the Bible text seems to give us a little answer in that the wealth was there to put him above any other king or Mm. every other king, and so he elevated him. Okay, for a very special reason that he would be the witness for the God that blessed him. Okay. Just one answer. Very good. Very good.
I kind of feel like uh, God gave him the wealth uh, along with the wisdom because he asked for the wisdom to not only focus on himself, but to focus on, on his people, to focus on okay. the growth of his community. And when you have wealth, when you have those resources to be able to give back, you can then use that discernment from the wisdom to give back in a way that is edifying and, grow and um, able to cause those people to grow. So I like your thought. Before I, I give anybody, I want to give you guys a little bit of a rundown what the Bible describes what his wealth was, okay? So we can say that his net value. So in er, there are four occasions in the book of 1 Kings that describe the amount of gold that he, has re, that he received. So I did a little bit of math, though it's not my strong suit. One... He received from Hiram, which was a king, 120 talents of gold, which comes out to about 144,000 pounds. In today's market, worth $263,861,280. One-time gift. He received the same gift from the Queen of Sheba when she came to visit him. Well, we'll talk about her here in a little bit. He also received gold from Ophir, another location, another king, kingdom, 420 talents at a weight of 504,000 pounds worth 923 million 514,480,000. Pocket change, right? Mm -hmm. Now check this out. He had a yearly income from tributes and taxes at 666 talents worth at, at, at a weight of 799,200 pounds. This is just gold at a value of 1,463,430,104 dollars. An annual income in taxes. In today's economy would put that kingdom Back then, 154th in, the, in, the, in terms of rank in the world back then. So wealth, yes, wealth was needed in order to work on behalf of his people. Good answer, okay? That was a great answer also. Any other? Right here. would be able to manage the wealth properly and not be consumed by the wealth. The wealth could be put to good use uh, to build up the kingdom, the, the people, okay. to benefit the nation of Israel if, if used wisely. Um, okay. How many of you are kind of in the same line of thought? 
Okay, thank you. Different line of thought, Dennis. I would like to go back to character. I think it was because God could trust him. Hmm. So I've given you wisdom. Okay. And you didn't ask for all of this other stuff. So that was telling God something. This man has potential to do the right thing. Okay. So here's the, here's the interesting part. Thank you, Maya. You can put the mic back. Here's the interesting part. Who does Solomon marry? This is found in chapter 2. He married Pharaoh's daughter. This was a big no-no, especially for a king. There was a strong, strong counsel that when, when the Israelites asked for a king, and God's like, no, nah, you don't want to go there. Trust me, you don't want to go there. In his infinite wisdom, he said, you don't want a king. But they said, no, we do. Okay. So here's what happens. He can't intermarry. He, he, he cannot marry somebody from another faith background. He cannot have multiple wives. So he married Pharaoh's daughter in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, after he married, he asked for wisdom. Point number one, righteousness and character. does not limit or, or your inability to be somebody of character or a flaw or a sin that has been committed does not eliminate the potential for you to work for God. Let me say that again. Just because you sin, I'm going to say it differently, but just because you have committed something that was either against God's instructions for your life does not mean that it excludes you from being a blessing for God. However, there's a caveat to all this. Okay? As it was said in the verse here in chapter 3, when you go, the same story is accounted for in, in First Chronicles. The, excuse me, the Second Chronicles. God appears to him a second time. And he gives him the same covenant that he gave to his father David. That is summarized in the book of First Kings. If you do not step away from my statutes, if you do not step away from what I have established, I will be with you forever and your lineage will reign forever. That was a caveat. But his wealth increased. 
and so did his family. He kept on marrying people from other regions outside of his kingdom. You guys know where I'm going with this. To the point that he eventually completely went off the rails. At some point, the Bible tells us that somebody came because they were so curious about who he was and wanted to find out if he was really as wise as people had made him to be. The queen of Sheba, from all the way from Africa, came. And just before she arrived into Jerusalem with her entourage, the Bible tells us that there were musicians that started to play to announce her arrival. The only thing that I could think of is the movie Aladdin. Right? Aladdin walks in with his entourage's music and dancers playing all over the place. I'm, my son's asking me, Dad, why are you watching this? I said, you'll see. I'm not showing it to you all. But the point is, this is somebody that had wealth. I mean, you come to visit somebody with a gift of $263 million. You, you, you got some money. But she asked him and tested him and quizzed him on every aspect of life. Some, some, some have suggested that she, one of the questions she asked was, what, are, what is the two certainties of life? And Solomon replied, death. Everybody's guaranteed death. And the, the second is good quality of life if you remain faithful to the creator. By the end of her visit, she said, blessed be your God and all who serve under him. That's when she gave him the gift, afterwards, after the visit. And, then she, and the Bible tells us that Solomon gave her more gifts than he got from her. The question to why did God give Solomon wealth in addition to wisdom was to bring honor and glory to the one who gave him those things in the first place. I mean, you think about it. It's absolutely mind-blowing that you, you have somebody travel from a far country to talk to you about what makes you so special. What made him so special was the gifts that God had given him. And the choice that he had to make was, do I give credit where credit is due, or do I take the credit myself? We all have different, we have all been blessed in some way or another. We all have blessings that God gives us. But who do we give credit to? Who should we give credit to? God. But the moment that we look at ourselves and say, I, I can do this, I can manage this on my own, this is what led Solomon down the path of 
having multiple wives. He thought because the first wife he had, she converted. She became part of his, fa- his faith. So he thought that, well, I can do it with one. I can do it with another and another and another. To the point that he had 600 wives and 300 plus concubines. It's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. But that happens when we, let me rephrase that, when I begin to look at myself as the owner of the talents that has been stowed and given to me. Why did God give them though? Because he had a purpose in mind. The purpose to be a witness, the purpose to reveal who the God of creator creation was the God who blessed them the God who owns the silver and the gold at the end of his life he came back to God and there has been no other king like they like Solomon there was no other king like Solomon but we are responsible for our own choices. See, the moment that he went off the rails, God withdrew. He had amassed a lot of wealth. He had amassed a lot of wisdom, honor, notoriety, but he had already run off the rails. Today, Some of you may find yourself in Solomon's shoes. Maybe not in wealth. Maybe not in the marital status that he finds himself in. Maybe not in a situation where you're nothing like Solomon, but yet you you find yourself in the context of Solomon as God has blessed you. Whatever it is, that may be. And he's blessed you with a purpose to share with others who it is that blessed you. I didn't do this because I got up in the morning to go to work. Well, why did you get up in the morning? Because you've been given life. Because you've been given health. Because you've been given an opportunity to be a steward. To be a manager of God's resources for him. That's what a steward is, a manager, not the owner. Whatever it is that you find yourself, what situation, no matter how rich or poor, how sick or healthy, you and I, we all have blessings that God has given us and entrusted us in order for the creator to be made known. And if we choose to remain in our own perspective of our own self-made man, we run the risk of never coming back to God. Today was the first of four 
family church Sabbaths that we're going to have. And next week, we're going to have another one. We're going to focus on the life of Jonah. That is an exciting topic. And so I invite you to all to come back as we continue to learn and to grow on what it means to grow together as a, a church family, but more importantly, what does it mean for us to be stewards of God's blessings? And yes, there is a stewardship lesson in the life of Jonah, but just maybe not the way you expected it. So I invite you to come back, join us again as we continue to serve God, as we continue to worship God in an environment where also kids can be more involved as well. May God bless you.